Mildred Ellison was my first grade teacher. Mrs. Ellison was a devout Christian. She was a member of our church here at Kansas Christian Church. Her husband, Ralph, was an elder, one of the men who ordained me later in life. On the, on the cold days, on the rainy days, the days that we couldn't go out and have noon recess, Mrs. Ellison would keep us in our classroom. We would play games. We would work on puzzles, maybe color some pictures. And the whole time in the background, she had records playing. Very often, she would play us Burl Ives albums. <laughs> and it was there in Mrs. Ellison's classroom that I first heard the words to that song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. In my small town Midwest upbringing, that song told me two things. First of all, that people came in more than one collar. That was news to me at that time. But secondly, it told me that there was someone named Jesus, and he loved me. I think, I think that was probably my first exposure to that reality, the reality of who Jesus was and, and what his love was about. Now, now, my kids, my kids grew up hearing that from birth, and many of you may have also. But, but chances are there was somebody in your life who put flesh and bone on that kind of love. They showed you the love of Jesus. Maybe it was someone who taught a Sunday school class. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a grandparent. But somebody, in the way that they loved you, they showed you something bigger. They showed you that Jesus loves you as well. I happened to be Mrs. Ellison's Happened to be in Mrs. Ellison's last class before she retired. I, I assure you, it wasn't because of me that she retired. But more to the point, I don't know if there are any more Mildred Ellisons out there. Certainly, none of them that can play those kind of songs for their students. And so, as you and I see children around us, we see the kids around us struggling in, in bad home lives and, and struggling with difficult upbringings, kids who have no idea that there is a Jesus or that he loves them or often that anyone loves them. What do we hope for those children? And what responsibility do we take to make sure that they know that they are loved? We're looking at a very short passage today in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. It is a short passage. It's a beautiful scene. It's a scene that I think has given way to so much of the gentleness and the love in our world. I read a passage like this, and I have to wonder, was this, was this the passage that inspired Mrs. Ellison to teach? How, how many teachers have been inspired by this passage? Was this what inspired her to share those records. How many others have dedicated their lives to serving children because of these words? Luke 18, beginning in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them 
For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We, we love this story. We love this image of Jesus laying hands on children, blessing children. The passage, the passage doesn't confront us as much as it confirms us because we recognize that children have value and need our care. My generation grew up with that song, that very familiar song, I believe that children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. I know it was kind of sappy, but it, it said it. Again, we get it. Children are important. Children are to be nurtured and educated. Children are to be valued and they are to be brought up in love. And it's so easy to read that perspective, our perspective, into the first century world of Jesus and the apostles and feel, well, they, they must have thought the same about children. Did they? Did the people of that world really believe that if you show them all the beauty they possess inside and give them a sense of pride that they will lead us and they will do well? Or do we have to realize that our perspective is not necessarily the perspective of the world that Jesus was born into. So when we ask, what does this mean, receive the kingdom like a child, we have to recognize that sometimes we're talking about our own answers. And we say things like, well, what it means is that children are, are trusting, and that's what it means to receive the kingdom like a child. Trust God just as a child trusts. Or we say, well, children are transparent. Children uh, have, have no sense of falsehood at all. They'll tell you exactly who they are, and that's what it means. Or, or we will say something like, well, children have a simple faith. I mean, they believe in Santa Claus. They believe in the tooth fairy. They're, they're going to believe what Jesus tells them. Or, or maybe we think, it means like children are always excited when you give them something. Children receive a gift with excitement. They're, they're, they're just in awe that you've given them something, and that's what it means. But those, those experiences and those thoughts are not necessarily part of the first century world when we read this. Those are qualities that we see in our children because we've nurtured those qualities. And so we have to ask, what is Jesus getting at when he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Look back to the first verse we looked at. Look back at verse 15 again. Luke sets the stage by saying, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Luke specifies infants. In fact, Luke emphasizes infants. They were bringing even infants to him. Now, I'm sure you understand that in that world, in that context, historically, there was a very high infant mortality rate. You would give birth to a child and Odds were that that child would be dead before the year was out. That was a reality, and that was a common experience in, that, in, in families in those days. And it was very easy to not get attached to children, to hold them at a distance because you weren't certain how long you would get to hold them. And so mothers are bringing children 
to Jesus, even infants, that he might touch them. Now, as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke this year, what happens when Jesus touches people? Well, if you go back to chapter 5, Jesus touches lepers and they're healed. The leprosy is gone. In fact, later in chapter 5, Jesus touches an entire crowd and the entire crowd is healed. And then in chapter 7, Jesus comes across a funeral. A funeral is happening as Jesus walks into a city and he sees the young man being carried out on the, the bier and he sees his mother following and Jesus reaches up and touches and the man returns to life. And Luke tells us Jesus gave him back to his mother. Huh. So we realize we need to lay aside all of those qualities that are part of our experience, qualities that we put on children, that they are trusting, that they have simple faith, that they get excited when they receive a gift. And we need to recognize the perspective of this world that children are fragile. Children are dependent upon someone to care for them, whether that's their mother and father, whether that's, whether that's Jesus. These infants are being brought to Jesus because they are helpless. And this is where the story confronts us, where it confronts you and me. Can we trust Jesus with our helplessness? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do we read that sentence? I mean, the language seems a little imprecise. So what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? We have a few options. One option is to receive the kingdom the way that you receive a child. And how do you receive a child? You open your arms and you welcome that child in, and it doesn't matter what that kid smells like, you're going to get a hold of baby. Well, no, not quite. Uh, what does it mean? Does it mean that you receive the kingdom the, way, the same way a, a child receives a gift? <gasps> with awe, with gratitude, with, with excitement at receiving a gift. Well, no. Does it mean that we receive the kingdom as though you were a little child. This is what Jesus is saying. You receive the kingdom as though you were a little child. Now, he's not saying that we have to become little children, but rather just as a child is helpless, you and I, we are helpless. Now, now we get that, right? I mean, we understand that when we talk about our sin, that we are powerless to save ourselves at the right moment. When, uh, when we were powerless, Christ died for us. We understand that. But do we understand that we bring our helplessness into the kingdom with us? I think, I think some of us get the idea that, well, of course Jesus loves me. Of course Jesus loves me. He needs me. I mean, look at how talented I am. Look, look at all the things I can do. I can serve. I can give so much because I have been blessed. But that's not what receiving the kingdom as a child is like because the reality is as a child, we are helpless. It's what Paul was getting at in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, Paul says, But God chose what is foolish 
What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that no human being, none of us, might boast in the presence of God. And you know, the other side of this is, too often our question is, well, why would Jesus want me? Why would Jesus love me? What can I offer him? I have no talent. I have no ability. I have nothing I can do for him, nothing I can give for him. Or even worse, we might think, "Ah, I've screwed up my life so bad. Why would he ever want me? He would never love me. And that's obviously not the point either. July 16th. (laughs) July 16th, 1992, we brought my oldest daughter, our oldest daughter, Megan, home for the first time. I carried her in the house in her little pumpkin seat. I carried her into the living room. I I remember holding her down so that the cat could meet her. He seemed very interested in what was in that little bundle that we had. I sat my little infant Megan down in the middle of the living room and I said, welcome home. We need to talk. There's a few rules we've got to talk about. And I told her that the milk was in the refrigerator, that the cereal was in the cabinet, and her diapers, which she would need to change herself, those are in your room, and you can take care of that yourself. Dinner is at 6. We'll see you then. (laughs) Hopefully you know I didn't really do any of those things at all. (sighs) We we know we'd better. We, We wouldn't do that to babies. So why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we forget that we are helpless? Why do we base our worth before God on what we're able to do, on how we're able to serve, on how we're able to do all of these things? How do we, how do we base our worth to God by what we bring to the table? When the only thing you can bring to Jesus is your helplessness. It's no coincidence that the very next story, which we will look at next week, but the very next story here in the Gospel of Luke is the story of the rich young ruler. It begins in verse 18, where Luke says, And a ruler asked him, a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit? You don't do anything to inherit. It's not about doing, it's it's about being. You inherit because you're a child. You, You inherit because you're a child, just like these infants that are being brought to Jesus. You inherit because in and of yourself you are helpless and someone cares for you because you are dependent upon that one who has promised to care for you. Now, if we understand that for ourselves, Do we understand that for others? If we don't understand that for ourselves, we will never understand it for the people who look to us to show them what Jesus is like. Can others trust us with their helplessness? What I don't want you to miss here is who Jesus is talking to in these three little verses. Because he's not talking to the mothers, the parents that have brought these children. And he's not talking to the children. He's not talking to the infants. 
This entire passage is addressed to the disciples. It is addressed to his followers. It's addressed to people, people like us, people who would be responsible for receiving others into his church. He's talking to us when he says, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. If we can see the helplessness of children, can we see helplessness in each other? Verse 17 is not about infants. It's about how we see ourselves and how we see others helpless and yet worthy of the love of Christ. A couple of years ago, I went to a conference. We were promised that we would be taught things about church growth. We would learn how to grow a church. And the speaker was a man who had proven himself. A speaker was a man who had started a church out east. It's very difficult to grow a church out east. He had grown this church to a huge size. And he was going to tell us everything that we needed to do to grow our churches. If your church is small, if your church is in trouble, if your church isn't growing, if your church is dying, here's what you need to do. And the first thing he told us we needed to do, stop giving your money to missions. First thing he told us, stop giving your money to missions. And stop doing things to, to reach out to the people in your community, to reach out to the poor people because they can't help you. And instead, he told us, start meeting with the business leaders in your, in your community. Start meeting with the, the power brokers in your community. Find the movers and the shakers. Find the people with money. Find the rich people. Find the, the business leaders. Find out who they are. Start meeting with them. Start taking them to lunch and convince them to, to leave their churches if they're going to another church and come to your church. You have to build up your base before you can help anyone. I listened to that and I said, that does not sound a thing like what Jesus is saying. That doesn't sound a thing like what Jesus is saying. Does that sound like Jesus? Does Jesus sound like he's saying, don't help the helpless? And I think about our community. I think about Kansas, our community right here. And I think if, if that was our approach, we've just told 99% of the people in this community that we're not here for them, that they're not worthy of our time. But at the same time, I do have to ask us, do 99% of the people in our community know that they are worthy of our time? Do they know that they're worthy of our love, that they're worthy of our attention? Do they know that Jesus loves the little children, that Jesus loves them as, as helpless as they might be? There are people in our community who are very aware that they are helpless. And I, I guarantee you, they don't have a Mildred Ellison in their lives playing songs like Jesus loves the little children to them. But they've got us. What do they think we want of them? You know, every now and then I hear, well, the church, the church just wants your money. They don't really care about you. How do we show them that the, the only thing you can bring to Jesus is your helplessness? It might be that we show them that by admitting just how helpless we are. Six-year-old Brett. <laughs> Six-year-old Brett sat in Mrs. Ellison's first grade class and listened to Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Jump ahead another six years and 12-year-old Brett walks into Kansas Christian Church for the first time. 
and he is overwhelmed by all that he sees and all that he hears. He has never been anywhere like this before. Someone hands him a bulletin, and he is absolutely lost in every sense of the word. And then I looked over, and there was Mrs. Ellison. I remember Mrs. Ellison coming up to me, shaking my hand, telling me how glad she was to see me. I remember seeing Mr. and Mrs. Decker, a couple of my teachers, and also parents of of one of my friends. Uh, They were here also. And there was this sense within myself that if if they needed this, then maybe I needed this as well. If this is something they need, then maybe I need it too. There's someone in your life like that. And hiding your helplessness does not help them. Pretending we've got it all together or that, well, we're so important that Jesus just has to love us, that's not going to get them here. And that's not going to get them to the point where they can experience that touch from Jesus. The only thing you can bring to Jesus is your helplessness. So when someone else brings us their helplessness, let's show them his love. Let's touch them the way that Jesus does. At the moment when we were completely helpless, at the moment when we could not save ourselves, Christ died for you and me, uh, the, the godly for the ungodly, the one perfect man, for you and me. It's a reminder that nothing can we bring, there's nothing that we can bring to him. Simply to his cross we cling. As we prepare to take communion today, let's remind ourselves of that helplessness that we have known far too well. And let's commit to allowing others to know that as well, so that they might see who Jesus is through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in our weakness, in our helplessness, when we had nothing, nothing that we could do for ourselves to save ourselves, you sent your son that he would die for us. And we thank you that today, as helpless as we are, as helpless as we continue to be, you continue to love us. You continue to welcome us. You continue to seek us to come to you. I thank you for the, for the bread that reminds us of the body broken for the cup that reminds us of the bloodshed. And we thank you for the promise we have (laughs) that Jesus loves all of us, all the little children of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. God bless and go in peace.